Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we will be talking about one of Connor's top 10 favorite films of all time. It's 1999's The Mummy. In honor of Mr. Brendan Fraser, a man who is going to be possibly winning a Best Lead Actor Oscar come March 12th. Super exciting stuff. He's kind of had a renaissance here, a mini renaissance uh, you know, his 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 new movie, The Whale, is is out in select theaters right now. Unfortunately, Connor and I have not been able to see it. It's not really uh, playing in Texas yet. It might be playing in Austin, not sure, but it's not playing, you know, in San Antonio, San Marcos yet. Uh, but we will keep our eyes peeled for that release date. And we will definitely be, both be going to see that. Not only is it Brennan, you know, Brennan Frazier, but it's Darren Aronofsky, a guy to always keep your eye on. Uh, he's... For most people, hit or miss. But for me, he's been mostly hit. Like I, I really like that guy. So the combination of those two is really cool. But because of Brendan, because of this resurgence, it's we get to bring The Mummy to Oscar Sunday, a film that was up for Best Sound uh, at the 72nd Academy Awards, 1999. Great year. Great Oscar year. Uh, so it's exciting to bring this movie over here because you've done it on Filmgasm with, uh, I believe, Josh, like like a long time ago. Yeah, that was fun. That was a uh, that that was one of the first ones that Josh and I did together, and we were still kind of feeling each other out. And the Mummy was like a favorite, and we just had a blast digging into that together. And yeah, it's I watch that movie a few times a year. It's comfort food. It's one of my all time favorites. It has been since I was five. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I I don't have that same relationship to it as you do, um, which makes this like even more fun because I just get to witness you freak out over <laughs> over what you love about this movie and pick awards for it. You know, that's always special because we've both done a lot of like firm favorites of ours on this show. And it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it. If you've seen it 10 times, 100 times, picking awards for it always gives it a different um, it gives it a different take, a different perspective when you're constantly trying to figure out, whoa, is that my favorite scene? Is that my favorite line? What's my favorite music moment, especially from this really good Jerry Goldsmith score? You know, it's it always is special to kind of that viewing for this show for Oscar Sunday is is always really important. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it always means a lot to us when we get to do our favorite movies but push ourselves while watching it. It's not just watching it for fun. You're kind of challenging yourself. Yeah. And it really has to, you know, I, I have to accept like who, who do I think stands above everyone else in this movie in terms of performance? What is the best line of dialogue? Like it's hard, it's hard to do that when it's a movie you've seen a hundred times that you love every second of it's easier to do it when it's a new film, like bicycle thieves. But when it's something like the mummy, that is, you know, almost like a part of me, like, how do I do it? it? It was hard. It was very hard. And I, you know, it's, I think I got a good bunch here, but you know, this could change. If, if I watch it like next week, it could be a completely different list. Mm, I love that. That's how that's like, it's hitting you right here on this episode next yeah. week. If we did it again, you never know. So that's always fun. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of the mummy and we're going to talk about some individuals, you know, uh, we'll talk about our awards and what we love about it. I thought this was really interesting and I want to see if you can guess what I'm, what I'm kind of calling out here. So uh, I, we have a, we have a club, we have a five episode club uh, on this, on this show, meaning we've, 
visited the same ceremony five times. Obviously, today marks the fifth episode for the 72nd Academy Awards, 1999. The other two years, I wonder if you can guess what they are. That we've hit five times. Five times, yeah. It's just these three ceremonies. And they're actually, two of them are really close to each other than the other ones somewhat close. So they're all kind of more recent, uh, which doesn't surprise me. 2014? No. No, really? shocking. Even though we love that year, we haven't been there as, huh. as often as, as we should. Hmm. Okay. Well, that was, I, I thought that was the gimme. Now I'm, now I don't know. With, uh, four, with, two, with that year, we've done Whiplash and honestly, I don't know what else we've done from 2014. That might be it. There's no, we've definitely gone back more than Whiplash. I know we have. It's, you know, we, we've done so many of these now. It's hard to to pinpoint. I'd have to look at my notes. Let me do that real quick. Um, 2014. 2014, we've done Whiplash and Grand Budapest Hotel. That's it. That's crazy. I could have sworn we've been there more than that. Huh. All right. Um, let's see. 2007? 2007, we've only done No Country for Old Men and The Bourne Ultimatum, an episode you weren't even on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Hmm. All right, I, I'm looking. I'm looking. If this was video, if this was video, you could see me sweating right now. Um, <laughs> also, let's see. Um, one of them is is pretty surprising. The other one makes a lot of sense because we did it early, and then we've kind of tackled like very different films from that year. Um, so it's kind of all over the board. The other year, I was shocked by. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna get all right. Seventy-five, meaning the seventy-fifth Academy Awards or nineteen seventy-five. Nineteen nineteen seventy-five. No, the the nineteen ninety-nine is the oldest. Shit. So they're all <laughs> you know they're 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 all more recent. This is hilarious. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess one last time. Uh, okay, I'm gonna guess twenty sixteen. Okay, that's close. So. The most recent one, the most recent one is 2018. Ah, okay. We did, we did Black Panther no. pretty early. We did If Beale Street Could Talk. We did Minding the Gap. That's right. We did Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and we did First Reformed. What a crazy group. That is an insane group. That, that's a good representation of 2018, frankly. Yeah. And I don't think we did that on purpose. Um, Black Panther we did right after Chadwick Boseman passed away. Uh, Bill Street was kind of one that I just wanted to do. Same with Mind in the Gap. I want to say Spider-Verse we did around the time that the most, you know, last year, last yeah. December. That was when No Way Home came out. We did that right after we got back from L.A. And First Reformed technically came out in 2017, but not nationwide. So it's kind of 2017, kind of 2018 movie. It competed with these movies, though. Uh, so it's it's you know it's it's in the same ceremony. Uh, the other year is two thousand one. I almost guessed two thousand one. Son of a bitch. So two thousand one, very early in our in our in our our run here, we did in the bedroom. Uh, shortly after that, we did Shrek. For the fiftieth episode, we talked about Lord of the Rings. So of course, Fellowship of the Ring, Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. and Black Hawk Down. That <laughs> is a group of movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love when we kind of go off the beaten path of what's expected. Instead of just tackling like, you know, a beautiful mind, we go and kind of look at, you know, the stuff that didn't quite, you know, didn't take home a statue, but deserves to be talked about. Those are always the best episodes. Yeah, for sure. That one makes a lot of sense because In the Bedroom was super ambitious. We had never seen the movie before. Uh, we both we both highly respect, you know, Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek. So that was like, that ended up being a great episode because it was the first time we did a movie we hadn't, both of us hadn't seen. We kind of went in blind and it, it rewarded us. Shrek is the first uh, best animated winner of, of the Oscars. We both love that movie. Fellowship, episode 50, Lord of the Rings. Mulholland Drive is obviously like one of my five to ten favorite movies of all time, so had to do it at some point. And we did it last year um, as an anniversary, uh, twenty year anniversary episode. And Black Hawk Down, you just hadn't seen yet, and I was like, "Dude, you're, you're going to love this." And we did it around the time that um, uh, I believe House of Gucci came out, so we did kind of a really Scott thing. I remember on Sneak Preview, you guys did like a big really Scott episode. And, uh, of course, we were having fun with that. Black Hawk Down, solid episode. Uh, solid movie. And, then, of course, 1999. Uh, Fight Club. American Beauty. Magnolia. Jesus. Toy Story 2. And now The Mummy. <laughs> I love that you've got, like, two incredibly insightful and, like, gargantuan films there with American Beauty and Magnolia. And then we got, you know... Fight Club, which is its own thing, and then Toy Story 2, which I remember was like a softy for me and Caleb to do while you were prepping for your wedding. Yeah, yeah. And then The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> just just the definition of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, after that, the next closest year would be uh, 2011. Moneyball, Rango, Undefeated, and Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows Part 2. So there's four. But after that, man, it's it's a bunch of twos, a bunch of threes. You know, we don't we don't go to the same year over and over, um, which is you know is is on purpose. We like to spread the wealth and uh, ha- have fun, you know, kind of going to different ceremonies. But 1999, you, you can't you can't fuck around with this year. It's just so awesome, has so much to offer, and we haven't even really scratched the surface. Like, there's so many other good movies from 1999 that we could bring to this show, uh, but this feels like a good representation of who we are as movie fans. And the Mummy is obviously your favorite of the bunch. 99 is the gift that keeps on giving. There's some incredible films represented at that ceremony. And it's hard to not come back to that. You know, it's like the, it's the most comfortable of this, of like the ceremonies where we're like, if, we, if we're lost, we can always come back to 99 and know we're going to find something awesome to talk about. You're, you're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> you're goddamn right. Uh, yeah, it is, it is comfy. It's, it's nice to do this every once in a while, you know, just kind of go down a path uh, and I'll say, you know, I know you've seen The Mummy a bajillion times. <laughs> I've probably I've probably seen it five times throughout my whole life. It's been very and it's been very, you know, sparse, very, very, uh, very, very much a movie I like to build up anticipation for because I do like it a lot. It's a solid four star movie, four to five star movie for me. You know, eight out of ten, just just fun, just fun as shit. But I know for you, it's a ten out of ten. It's a movie that you just are so attached to it's one of those that you you'll you'll take to the grave which is funny yeah yeah i don't really i couldn't tell you why it's one of those movies that as a kid when i was a kid between the ages of like you know newborn and like nine there are certain movies that i would just latch on to and never let it go 
I don't know why. I have no idea where that comes from, but I hold these films as sacred today as I did then. And they've just never left my head. Like, mm. The Mummy's one of those movies. My mom and dad went and saw it and were kind of disappointed because they were expecting a full-blown horror movie. And The Mummy's more yeah. of a... Yeah, it's more of an adventure, campy, you know, fun movie with the occasional bout of horror. And then I guess they bought it on tape and I got a hold of it. And I was like, I was thinking actually last night when I was watching it, I was thinking about that. And I thought I was probably too young to be watching this, but um, yeah, yeah, it does have its moments, you know, uh, it does of, of freaky shit. Yeah. It goes hard when it does. I mean, you know, it's the reason I have a bit of a fear of like long vertical mouths is fucking Imhotep yeah. shooting locusts out of his face. Emotep, yeah. Yeah. But at five years old, I was like, I couldn't watch that bit, but I loved it. I rewinded it and just kept watching it. I added, I put it in my pile with Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit, and all these other movies. And I just kept watching it. And here we are. It's it's funny. I can't explain any of it, but in my heart, I know I know these movies are mine. Mm. Yeah, that's and that's all you need to know, you know, is somewhere within you is the reason and sometimes that sometimes that's enough uh is a big part of the reason uh brendan fraser yes he's he's the best he was you know he was channeling you know raiders of the lost ark harrison ford just this charismatic fun everyman who's in this insane adventure and only wants to do the right thing and you know i love brendan from there from then on i was like i like this guy and you know, I saw this before I saw George of the Jungle, which is probably the movie I should have been introduced to Brendan with. But yeah, it's he's the man. And I still I've never lost faith. I've been waiting for this renaissance and I'm so glad we're we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And just for some fun, you know, he's not an Oscar nominated guy. Could be could be very soon. But we got to talk about it a little bit. Like what what are like for me, you know, I'm a big fan of Airheads and Encino Man, you know, just kind of ridiculous movies. Uh, you mentioned George of the Jungle. What are some other roles that, that you have uh, have grown to to like over the years? I'm a big fan of Bedazzled. Okay, nice. Because uh, he kind of gets to play everybody in that movie. You know, this just kind of moronic schmuck who has no friends because he's the dorky guy at the office. He ends up making a deal with the devil. He gets to be, you know, a Colombian drug lord and a gay author and the most sensitive man on earth. But then in the end, he realizes, you know, just be yourself. That's the best thing you can be. And that's always been Brendan Fraser's biggest strength is just being himself and just playing a relatable kind of doofus. We all can, you know, understand, you know, I could be, I could be a schlub working at an office. I get that. I could be, you know, a 1920s adventurer stumbling into a crazy situation with a mummy. Cause he's not, you know, he's never been the big hero. He's just the guy. And I always love that. Uh, Looney Tunes back in action was a big one when I was a kid. Yeah, good call. It's a terrible movie, admittedly. But you know what? He's playing a stuntman who's just, you know, trying to do the right thing. He has a great line where he mocks himself where he says, you know, those mummy movies, I'm in those more than Brendan Fraser is. And I always <laughs> love that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, those are. Yeah. A lot of stuff when I was a kid, I haven't seen a lot of his dramatic stuff. I'm still I still got to get to that stuff. Uh, but those are the ones. Those are the main ones that that turn me on to Brendan. Yeah. Uh, you know, a movie that I'm dreading to do on the show one day is Crash and he's in that. Uh, yeah. 
And, you know, admittedly, he's not great, but that's 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 because the movie's not great. Uh, have you seen School Ties? He is great in that one. I have not, but I've I, I saw him talking about his career on a GQ video and School Ties was brought up and it is one that I definitely want to watch. Yeah, that is a fascinating movie, you know, a really cool cast. Of course, him and Matt Damon are kind of. They're at the either they're the headliners, but a really, really interesting movie. And, you know, it's I believe it's 1950s, you know, uh, north, they're like in a northeast prep school and he's like a really good football player or whatever. And uh, uh, basically the synopsis of that one is that he he's Jewish uh, and his family's really poor. So he only gets into the school because he's really good at football. And then, you know, things start to unfold and they find out he's Jewish, you know, these guys and they, they just kind of, you know, it's a different time, different place. And they start, you know, to bully him and kind of, you know, Matt Damon does the whole like, he's a Jew, you know, you know, like, ah, and it, but it's a fascinating movie, man. And it's a really, you know, it's 1992, I want to say 93, I don't know, somewhere in there. And it's really interesting to look at these guys and just like where their careers went after that, you know, um, especially those two, you know, Matt Damon kind of took the route that was like, look at him now, you know, he's been in a thousand movies and is, is super popular. Brendan kind of took a different path while it was really successful for a time. He kind of fizzled out as a, you know, uh, financially successful leading, leading man. And I'm hoping with the whale, I'm hoping that changes for the next, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah, he deserves it. You know, he's been through the ringer. I mean, you know, the stunt work on the mummy destroyed oh. his body. And then, you know, the he had a bitter divorce where he lost all his money. And then he got blacklisted after that produ- after that producer groped him. And he's just been spiraling without any chance of getting, you know, solid work for the past 10 years. And yeah, now, you know, Aronofsky and then earlier last year, Soderbergh kind of gave him a a big role in No Sudden Move. No Sudden Move. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. And he's got, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon with Scorsese next year. So he's in a good spot now. He looks healthy. And I think he's just now realizing how many fans he had. And we're all pulling for him. I, if I see him win, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to cry. Like, yeah, means, it, the, means the world to me as a film buff. And I'm, I'm just glad he found his way back. Yeah, man, me too. Uh, it's almost like I don't even need to see the movie to be rooting for him, which is sad. Yeah. But that's just, that's just kind of how I feel. There's also nobody else that's kind of in the race right now that I'm like, Oh, they deserve it. They need it. You know, yeah. he's the one, he's the one that it would be so cool for America to see him, see him win gold. Uh, yeah. I saw, I think it was in GQ cause he did that interview. And then I think he did a whole photo shoot and a whole, you know, thing for their, their magazine. That dude's got style, man. He's got he's got a cool he's got a cool different kind of you know wardrobe going on. I, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Last night I watched uh, he did an interview on Variety. Uh, it was an actor on actor thing with Adam Sandler. Oh, what a it, dream! He was talking about hustle, and Fraser was talking about the whale. And I guess you know they became really good friends on Airheads, and they just Dude, supporting that each movie. Other. Yeah, that movie <laughs> rules. Yeah. Yeah, and he just, they were gushing about each other's careers, and I was, Brendan looks really good, he's, you know, he's he, he dropped the the weight he gained for the whale, and he just looks healthy for the first time in years, and I'm, I'm so happy, because I was worried, you know, with the weight, that it wasn't for a role, that it might be, you know, a situation, but 
No, it was for a role. So he's 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 good. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh yeah, love the guy. Can't wait to call him an Oscar nominated actor. It's gonna be cool. Um, his co-star in the mummy, Rachel Weiss. Boy oh boy, is she something else? She has put together such a fascinating filmography and she's one of those people that I would look at writing something for her. You know, she just has that kind of talent, that kind of skill and picks, especially now in her more recent years, she picks such interesting roles and such interesting filmmakers to work with, but she's a, you know, she's an Oscar winner for uh, best supporting actor in the constant gardener in 2005. And then she was nominated again for best supporting actress in um, the favorite, which is, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos. Fantastic movie. Uh, I love this lady. Uh, I I thought what she did in The Lobster was so beyond me. You know, uh, I think her and Yorgos, their chemistry is fucking sick. I've always just been kind of captivated by her. I, I think she's obviously a very, very beautiful, beautiful uh, lady and very talented. But there's there's kind of like an it factor that she has on screen. Uh that, that I'm, I'm kind of enamored by. So I, I love that she's an, an Oscar winner. I think that's really cool. I'm with you. I do think she won, she won for the wrong movie. Oh, uh, 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah. I do not care for The Constant Gardener. I thought it was fine and hard to follow. And her she's in it. She's barely in it. And it's not a wow me performance that I thought deserved an Oscar. However, the favorite, she if she was going to win for either one, it should have been for that one. <laughs> Yeah, she's just fucking lights out, you know, uh, in the favorite. They all are, though, you know, her, like that's a dream trio. Those three ladies like putting in work together. Uh, Emma Stone, uh, uh, Olivia Coleman, and her. It's just like, yeah. Jesus, how, how can you get so much talent on one screen? And then you add Colin Farrell, uh, sorry, Colin Farrell and the lobster and her. It's like Yorgos just picks them so good. <laughs> he really yeah. does. Yorgos knows what he's doing. Um, Rachel is such a crucial component of the mummy that yeah. her, her absence in the third movie is the main reason people hated it. She's right from the get go. I kind of forgot how good she was in the mummy as Evelyn, uh, right from the get go. You know, you see her in the library and all the fucking shelves fall and, and that yeah. whole bit. There's a, uh, like she reminded me of kind of a, like an old school, like forties actress, while also kind of maintaining a really cool modern, you know, uh, tempo to like the, the way she performs. I just was kind of like, she's timeless, especially in the mummy, a movie that's taking place, of course, like in the 1920s, she's just timeless. The way, the way she moves, the way she operates, the kind of comedic timing, I think is really underrated in the mummy. And I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with her in this movie all over again. Well, I know Steven Summers who did the mummy and then Van Helsing, he loves the monster movies of the 30s, the universal monster movies. So I bet he wanted to craft an atmosphere similar to Carlos Mummy. And you get actors who have this, you know, classic flair. And Rachel Weiss has like an Audrey Hepburn quality. In yeah, yeah. Whereas like, you know, Brendan Fraser at times is channeling like African Queen Bogey. So you've yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got he, he. I'm sure that was not an accident. I'm sure that was part of Summer's notes. Like, go watch Karloff's The Mummy a hundred times and bring back what you think this character is. Mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah, great point. Uh, you know, Bogey and Hepburn. Uh, she she has kind of Hepburn's Audrey's kind of like 
that like some kind of innocence and kind of easygoing comedy, but she also has that kind of wicked, like Olivia de Havilland, just fucking cutthroat style. It's like, man, this girl is, this girl is something. She's definitely watched movies. You know, you can tell she's done her research. Yeah, for sure. Um, one more Rachel Weiss shout out. I watched uh, this past October for the first time in years. I watched Constantine. Mm, nice. And nice. I forgot how fucking great she was in that. Just this, you know, this atheist cop who is chosen to be the vessel of the Antichrist and just how he handles that, you know, going up against like, you know, Keanu Reeves as this demon hunter. She really does such a great job just anchoring that crazy story in a place of realism. And she does the same thing with the mummy. Like she, she's a focal point of just, you know, regular life that all this crazy shit is happening around and you buy it. Ah, well put, well put. She's amazing. Good shout. I love talking about these people, you know, and she's obviously super crucial to what we're discussing today. Uh, two more people I want to talk about some, some, you know, some crew members here. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Under underrated composer, I'd say. Uh, he's got a boatload of nominations. Uh, just one win. You know what that's for, motherfucker. It's uh, The Omen from 1976. So that's his, that's his one win. But, you know, I mean, there's standouts like Platoon and Chinatown and, you know, just a bunch of you know boys from Brazil, Poltergeist, uh, fucking L.A. Confidential, Basic Instinct, Mulan. Like, the list just goes on and on. He, he's just got an insane Oscar resume and that's not including all the other stuff that he's done. You know, uh, he's prolific as they come and as skillful as they come. Uh, his score for the mummy is perfect. It's fucking perfect. And rest in peace. He died nearly 20 years ago. So, uh, it's just, I, I still think it sucks to like speak about him in the past tense. Yeah, the mummy was one of his last jobs before he yeah. passed in, I think, two thousand. And I mean, this is a magnum opus, man. The soundtrack, the, the score for the mummy, is a perfect hybrid of horror and action that just you know works in all the right places. It, mm. It's fantastic. It beats the shit out of Alan Silvestri's Mummy Returns score. I love Silvestri, but Goldsmith knew what to do here. Yeah, just not the right guy for that particular job. <laughs> no. But yeah, I the Goldsmith has done some hammers. He's one of my favorite horror composers. I believe he did Poltergeist too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That and just, you know, just to, the fact that we got a song called Hail Satan nominated for an Oscar because of Goldsmith. What more do you need? I'm in. Yeah, sign me up. The guy, <laughs> the guy, the guy kicks ass. So that that'll be obviously that will come up for the Ennio Morricone Award later. We'll be talking about Jerry Goldsmith a little bit. Uh, last guy I want to talk about is the cinematographer who also passed away in the 2000s, just at the age of 53. Sucks. Uh, really, really cool <laughs> resume, like kind of, kind of random. Uh, he was nominated in 1991 for Thelma and Louise. Uh, that's his only nomination. But then you kind of just, this always happens. You kind of look, listen to these. These four are like his known four on IMDb. V for Fendetta. Thelma and Louise, Willow, and Aliens. Come on. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking sick. <laughs> uh, and you, you, th- you throw the mummy in there. Uh, I mean, come on. Like, uh, yeah, he did mummy. Uh, he did the mummy returns, uh, laws of attraction, Shanghai nights. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Shit. He did the princess bride. 
Yeah, yeah. Judge Judge Dread, hundred and one Dalmatians. The world is not enough. Like, damn, man. Yeah, under underappreciated work there. Aliens alone. Yeah, come on. Jesus. That's yeah, these cinematographers, man, they they put in the fucking work and they never get the praise they deserve. I mean, the, every film looks the way it does because of the actions of the cinematographer. And, you know, I love yeah. the shout here. Yeah. When's the last time you talked about aliens and you were like Adrian Biddle, you know, like that just, that doesn't, you know, you're always like James Cameron, big Jimmy. But how many times have you said, God, that movie looked amazing. Exactly. Which means in turn, you're saying Adrian Brid- Brittle is the man, you know? Uh, so I had to bring him up, you know, he's got the one nomination, but I just thought, you know, the mummy is obviously a pretty difficult movie to make in 1999 with, uh, you know, the, the half CGI, half live action scenes that are going on. And uh, that also is a testament to Brendan kind of selling that stuff, you know, when he's fighting off a bunch of CGI, you know, priests like dead priests that's all him doing those actions uh, towards nothing you know towards air you know it's like it's it's all choreography and brendan kind of selling it and that's that's skill that's acting yeah this is one of those movies that you can see is kind of in the middle like in the transition period between mm-hmm. mostly practical and mostly computer generated and the mummy has both and yeah, you it still holds up. That's the craziest part. The visual effects in the first the first mummy still hold up, and the visual effects in the second mummy do not. And it's yeah, kind of weird it? how that happens. I it's so <laughs> so bizarre to me. You know, well, it's kind of like we had that big conversation when we did Jurassic Park, where obviously in the nineties there was a change. There was a change happening, and the fact that CGI uh, and 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 you know animated movies were starting to look so fucking impressive. It's scary, but it's also can unlock a whole new world of, of movie making. And a movie like The Mummy just kind of straddles the line. And it's like a perfect place to be where you're kind of always on the edge, but never quite one way or the other. And I feel like a lot of those 2000s movies leaned too far into look what we can do. Yeah. Instead, instead of still holding on kind of t- to the integrity of filmmaking and the integrity of practical effects. It's okay to use the computer, but you know, you still want to have some of your major scenes be people and be production design and actual things happening. So I've always respected The Mummy for being uh, ahead of its time, but also in, in the perfect place. It's so 1999. It's, it's like perfect. Yeah, the 2000s was the, the decade of the sellout. It is very much just like, yeah. check this shit out. It's brand new and it just dates every movie. And that sucked. You know, it's also why, you know, Another uh, staple of that is the shitty rock song that happens at the end of every like action movie from 2000 to like 2007. And the Mummy Returns had one. Yeah, <laughs> I was shocked. It's it's funny that like there's you can just kind of keep so many movies in that decade because everyone was so certain that movies were never going to be better than this. This was the peak of of pop culture, and uh, no, no, it was not. And <laughs> indeed, it was not. Uh, that's I love that. I, I think I think we've mentioned multiple times on on different various shows that we've done that you can just you can just tell you can just like the history, especially of American filmmaking. You can just you can just like kind of pick it apart, where you know things are changing in the late eighties and the nineties, and 
2000s, there's just a lot of shit, just a lot of stuff, tons of stuff. And in the 2010s, there's kind of a, well, now we've mastered CGI. And now look how amazing these movies can look. That probably starts with Avatar 2009. It's like, look how fucking amazing these movie experiences can be. And of course, that's, you know, uh, something that, that is a segue to what, you know, like the Russo brothers did with, you know, those Avengers movies towards the end just look so fucking good. Now we're in a place where like, okay, we get it. Movies can look perfect on the computer. Now what? We're like, we're like in another, uh, you know, pattern changing uh, time, I think, personally, where people are confused on what they really like. It's really interesting. I agree. You know, I'm nostalgic for a time where it was quality over quantity because now it's just let's see how many movies we can release and maybe one of them will be a hit and it won't matter if the other two aren't because this one's going to do great. But before you know, I, I wish I wish we could go back to let's bet everything on this and make this one as good as we can and really have faith in this movie before we go to the next movie. Like, I wish we could breathe again and just enjoy shit on at our own pace. We don't get to do that anymore. No, not at all. And it's affecting the industry that we love. You know, how many movies can you point out to this year that were a financially successful, b memorable and C are going to last a long time. Like there's maybe three of those from the whole year. We're already nearing the end of 2022. And it's like, man, like, what do we have to show for? I was just looking, I was listening to a podcast. These guys were talking about just the amount of stuff that has come out the past month or so. And I was looking at it. I was like, is that right? Are they just talking about, cause they live in LA. I'm like, are they just talking about stuff that's coming out in LA like nonstop? And I was looking at it. I was like, no, they're right. Like this is nationwide released, whether it be a, you know, a movie that went straight to streaming, a movie that's in theaters, VOD. It's just, what am I supposed to choose? You know? And, and it, for me, it kind of, I have to put like a, defense mechanism up where I'm like, I'm just going to watch old shit. I'm just going to go back to like what makes me happy, what I know is going to make me happy, what I know is going to make me learn and, and grow as a movie fan rather than stress out over well, which of these 10 fucking movies am I going to spend my time with? And it, that's fucking sad. It's really sad that a Steven Spielberg directed movie has gotten lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Are you, are you fucking serious? Like, the most important American filmmaker to exist is just lost in the shuffle of stuff. Shouldn't that movie be dedicated? It should be the only movie out on the weekend should be the movie that everybody's like talking about has a conversation about instead. They're talking about fucking Tim Burton's Wednesday on Netflix because they don't, they don't know what to do. There's too much, too many movies coming out to where they're like, well, let me just do this thing on my couch and move on with my life. I kind of get it. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, going to a restaurant that has a menu that's like 30 pages long. And you're just like, I don't have time to try all this. I don't know if I'm going to like any of this. So I just get a burger because I know I'm going to like a burger. Uh, like, yes. Yeah. I'm always eating a burger because, frankly, like, if I try the calamari, I'm probably not going to like it. And I'm going to be upset that I paid money for it. It's it's It reminds me of the scene uh, at the end of the menu. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy is like, I just want a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and, I don't know. The, the, also, uh, this TV show, Atlanta, that just ended a little, you know, a little while back. The last episode was basically about what we're talking about, where it's like, 
here's this, this stuff, this new thing. And like, do you want to embrace it? And so the characters are at a, like a, a, a black owned sushi joint in Atlanta. And it's like this big thing, like, Oh, you gotta go. If you're black, you have to go check this out. But the main characters are like, yeah, but Popeye's is across the street. And I know I'm going to like that shit. And that's how we, that's how we are. You know, that's how, that's how we are. We, we put up a defense mechanism when there's too much to kind of choose from and too much to dive into. That's new. I don't know. I'm probably rambling, but I've thought about it a lot lately. A lot. No, it makes perfect sense to me. You know why? Because there is a hot new thing every fucking day. We don't have yes, any time yes. to just like, oh, check out this new thing and then get to be with that for like a few weeks before we go to the next thing. It's every day where we have to just like pick something. And frankly, I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, pay 20 bucks to watch something that frankly nobody cared about because it you know it wasn't everyone was putting their eggs in the disney basket so this movie didn't get any attention and most of the time it's like well yeah you can tell i i'm just i don't know if i have the patience anymore yeah a movie that i read about earlier this year she said and i was like yeah i need to see that that's gonna be that will be like a good movie for me to learn and grow it's it's on vod right now for 20 bucks and i was looking i was looking on, on voodoo i was like man should i pull the trigger and i was like i don't know a goddamn soul that has seen this who am i going to talk to about this myself like and, and that's not that's i know the point is like for you to enjoy art and to, to like the things you like and i definitely like the things i like and i know you're the exact same way but man, it's also about being a part of the conversation and being a part of the community, enjoying the same thing. Or, or partly what I love is the discourse. If you and I don't enjoy the same thing and we have a conversation about it, yeah. that's one of my favorite things, the divisiveness of, of movie making. I, I, I need that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's gone. Like It just feels like it's totally gone. I don't remember, I think the only movie this year that I saw, I called you about it. I was reading articles about it. I was talking to everyone I knew about it. I was talking to my wife about it because she also loved it. it was no like Jordan Peele's new movie. And you and I were like, yeah, this got us excited. This got us excited for the fall. But did it really? You know, did it really give us that jolt that we needed? It gave us the jolt of what we have always longed for. But it nothing else, nothing else has come close as far as being financially successful and a movie that's fun to talk about longevity is dead and we killed yeah. it. yeah yeah i mean we did twitter did any was anybody talking about strange world for more than like a day and a half and yeah the news cycle is so fast the pop culture news cycle is like bam 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 i, I found out about that grinch parody horror film the day it came out and it's already like I don't even know what you're, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, they made a, a Grinch horror movie called The Mean One. And what the fuck? Yeah, see? <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah. I wanted to see it too, but now it's like, well, I've got maybe till Sunday and then it'll probably be gone. That's Yeah, that's what happened um with Tar. I wanted to see Tar. I just didn't have time that week and then it was gone. Yeah, it's, it's gone. insane. It was like, well, we didn't make enough. So 
and we didn't make enough opening weekend because nobody who the fuck's gonna go see you know you know a movie about lydia tar a fictional composer directed by todd field who hasn't made a movie in 15 goddamn years i will i'll go see it <laughs> yeah like like cinephiles will make time if you give us time i get updates about black adam's global box office every fucking day it's up to 485 million in case you were wondering because i know because they won't stop telling me because i saw this morning yeah <laughs> yeah like jesus christ they're just milking that and other things that deserve just an opportunity get like a two days three days at the most and then they you never hear from them again until they're in the back of netflix's catalog Ugh. god disgusting <laughs> it's just, it's just disgusting it is, it's, still, it is. it's making me not want to go to the movies anymore because i know i'm just gonna see you know commercial bullshit that is like has no heart in it that's what black adam was i saw that and i was like i know what's gonna happen five minutes in and i was right yeah, and and you know this is this is all about like geography too. Is we live in Texas, like that's just the reality of where we're at. If we lived in Los Angeles, we might have a completely different mindset. We might that's be true. the happiest motherfuckers on the planet because we're because we get to go see the whale right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We 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 already would have seen White Noise. We've already seen Bardo and Tar and all these different movies. But not here, not here. You know, there's very few theaters. I, I will say, if you live like in Austin, like downtown, there are a couple theaters that are, like try. They try. They still try to do stuff. They still try to show, you know, unique movies that are you know art house movies, and I respect that. And foreign films, but I I look I look all the time at uh, at San Antonio Showtimes, and I'm just like, okay, we're still playing Wakanda forever. That's still what's getting all of the main screens is is Wakanda Forever, and I, I'm just like, all right, I, okay, I get it, but it sucks, you know. When the Bijou left, a part of my heart left. Yeah, it's it's hard to just keep doing it, you know. That's why I like this show the most because a, I don't have to do much, and b, <laughs> the selection is enticing. I get to do favorites like The Mummy, but I also get to explore, you know, classics like Bicycle Thieves and get to stay in a time where every film mattered to somebody. And these films, people cared. And I get to yeah. live there for a couple hours and it feels good and it feels rewarding. And I know I if I still had sneak preview, I'd be fucking depressed, man. Yeah, <laughs> I no, do yeah. this every week with that. I, I couldn't do it. So I love that that you went down that road because you know you now you're like i see i see it i see what the film industry for what it is in modern in modern cinema i see what it is and it's a lot of just stuff yeah i want to thank caleb real quick for doing that project with me uh for most of those because he 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 went as hard as i did he saw as much as he could and, and and y'all, yeah. you know, I listen. I listened to nearly every episode of that because I, I like, you know, I saw a lot of the movies too. Y'all did some amazing episodes on some pretty good movies. You know, like when the Batman came out, I was like, well, "This is cool." You know, yeah. It, it, there are some really unique episodes that you guys got to tackle and talk about. You know, moments for you guys, and you got to capture those moments on sneak preview of this is what happened when I saw this in the theater. You know, and that's unique. But I think we can kind of do that with all of our shows, you know, on their own, but like, those will just, those, those conversations will naturally come up, you know, um, 
that's happened multiple times on this show where we just kind of get to, you know, reminisce about, about things that have happened recently, you know? Uh, and I do like that. Like, like I did just see the menu, you know, four or five days ago and I was like, Oh, it was fun. It was a cool movie. I, yeah. I didn't think it was, a, it wasn't amazing, but it was fun. I had a good time at the theater, you know, speaking of, we went to the draft house, right? Stone Oak. And, you know, I don't know a goddamn soul there anymore. <laughs> so I, so I thought, Guess who our waiter was? Well, I'm intrigued. Who? Mr. Riley. Oh, God damn it. All right. Well, I'm glad we're going to Park North tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Connor and I, we're recording this on late Friday night. Um, Connor and I are going to see Batman Returns tomorrow in theaters. We were both fucking jazzed. But I saw the menu because it was convenient timing at uh, Draft House Stone Oak. There were like six people in the theater and he was serving the whole theater or whatever. And he came up to us, gave us his little spiel, and I was like, oh, my God. And Brianna goes, hey, we used to work with you. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, boy. I was like, just tell him you want fried pickles and tell him to move on. I don't care. And he's like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, like five years ago. You know, It's been a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, I recognize you guys. Yeah. And I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> No, you don't, because you're not saying my name. You don't know me. You don't know oh, her. You're geez. just saying this shit. And then he, yeah, I mean, God, I don't want to just talk shit, but yeah. And I, <laughs> I told, I leaned into Brianna and I said, Connor doesn't like that guy. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I've Sorry, actually I've talked about him a lot on these shows. I've never name dropped him before, so well done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's ever listening to our shows, and I don't really well, considering care. he. He didn't remember you. Probably not. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as a uh, cinephile who's, you know, um, listening to bicycle thieves and then the mummy back to back. Um, you know, that's it probably isn't happening, but yeah, God bless. You know, he did a pretty good job. So like, I was like, Oh wow. Uh, I know there's, it was a small theater. There weren't very many people, but he did do a pretty good job. I mean, it tipped him pretty good. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I thought I didn't know anybody there. I thought I knew no one except for um, one of the managers, and that's it. But I was like, holy shit, I know that guy. <laughs> I know uh, Caleb, not our Caleb, the other Caleb. He yes. still works bar there. I've seen Correct. him a couple times. He's the uh, bar manager now. That's who, that's who I'm speaking about, yeah. Good for him. Uh, yeah, 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 he's moved up. <laughs> well, you know what? So did we. <laughs> in our In our <laughs> own way. Yeah, yeah, and when I go there, I'm like, man, I miss this place. I'm not so much, you know. We've we've said this a million times. Not so much working there, like, you know, carrying drinks and food to people, but just being around movies nonstop. I mean, being able to see movies for free, what a blessing. Uh, yeah, that was funny. Um, <laughs> but but I guess my point being, bringing up the menu is, I didn't get to really be a part of conversation. Uh, yeah. I saw it. I saw it a week and a half after. It, after it came out, you talked to me about, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. My brother asked me, what'd you think? Cause he saw it around the same time you did. And I was like, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was really funny. I loved the first hour. I thought it kind of tail, you know, didn't land the plane properly, but I, I did like it. I had fun. And that was it. It's like, that's it. That was the only conversation I had really. My biggest problem with like the sneak preview is yeah, we got to do like cool episodes on movies like the Batman, and we got to really like dive into Dune and stuff mm. like that. But then we had then as soon as the episode was recorded, now it's next. Now we got to focus on next week. Like ah. we were doing exactly the 
what I didn't want to do, which was, you know, bank it, forget it, focus on the next one. And I, I don't have that with the rest of these shows because these are films that like exist in culture, have made their mark. And now I get to experience it instead of like just, you know, taking it a week by week with new stuff that I will likely never watch again. So Fascinating. good point. Just, good point. Yeah, it, it felt disingenuous and it felt like a chore and I, I had to get out of there. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, uh, that was really well put, you know, the the kind of banking it, forgetting it, moving on. Whereas old movies, like you said, they do have their place. So we're kind of jumping into pockets, you know, different pockets of, of, of pop culture. The way I, the way I always explain it on Oscar Sunday, filmgasm and uh, beyond the bad and fake true stories. Now I get to see those films with the sneak preview. I had to see those films. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally homework. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With the occasional, well, I was going to see Batman already. So, yeah. you know. But was I going to watch these four Netflix movies too? No, I wasn't. And I had yeah. three days to do that. And it was just like a nightmare. And, and so now our goal is to, if something like the Batman comes out, okay, well, then we'll do, we'll we'll honor it through our other shows. We'll do Batman Begins on, on Oscar Sunday. We'll do uh, one of the animated, you know, one of the great animated movies from the 90s on Filmgasm and, you know, you know, so on and so forth. That's kind of how we're going to continue moving forward. I, I've enjoyed that. This past year has been a lot of fun doing that, doing it that way. Uh, I Yeah, I, I love that. It's the same with The Whale, you know, even though we haven't really been able to experience it. We do want to honor Brendan as this movie kind of rolls out and honor the, the performance, you know, the performances that he's given us. And at the top of that list is the mummy. So it makes sense. Yeah. This is, this is a comfortable, well-paced way to do it. I don't, you know, we're not just like, you know, I'm not watching the whale. I'm not going out of my way to find a theater that has the whale. I'm not shoving the mean one into the weekend. Like I'm just (laughs) taking it at my own pace and that's how it should be done. (laughs) Yeah. Straight up, man. And, and you know, we're not getting paid to do this. So no, Whole different, whole different ball game. If I'm getting paid to watch, if I'm getting paid to watch movies, you bet your ass I'm driving all over the state to make sure I get that done. That is true. That is true. When it's just out, you know, out of my pocket, it's a little harder to make the effort. But if it's out of someone else's pocket, I'll I'll go as far as I need to go. <laughs> I'm not going to say who who said this, but there's a guy talking about Babylon. I was listening to recently, and he said. I was just like, fuck you. I was like so angry. I was in my car listening to this, to this, this guy talk about Babylon and he loved the movie. I'll give him that, you know? And he said, I love the movie, but he was at a like holiday, like Thanksgiving pre Christmas, like party. He was hanging out with, you know, some, some friends and he lives in Los Angeles and there's this screening for Babylon. And he was like, I get, you know, I get paid to go do this. This is my job, you know? And he was like, I had to leave this party and drive across Los Angeles, you know, which with traffic, you know, he was like, it took about an hour to get from where I was at this party to the screening of Babylon. He was like, basically, I wouldn't have been able to see Babylon for another like two or three weeks if I didn't go to this screening where there's a bunch of media, a bunch of different producers and different movie people. And he's like, I get to be in that room. And he was complaining about it. He's like, he was like, 
he's goes so mad. He's goes so angry. He's like, I went into the movie with a bad mindset. Like I was already angry that I had to leave my wife and my friends. And I was like, do you hear yourself right now? <laughs> you got paid to drive in Los Angeles to see Babylon starring Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Tobey Maguire, this new Damien Chazelle, you know, crazy bonanza movie. And you're complaining about having to, to having to do that. I was like, shame on you, man. Because <laughs> I would do that in my own time. You know, if I could see a, if I could see a limited, you know, new, you know, uh, screening for a movie like that, I'm, I'll, I'll do whatever it fucking takes, you know, and I'll pay for it. So the fact that he was, I was just like, oh, God damn, there's people who do it for a job, podcasting and writing and all that stuff for movies. I'm just like, you don't, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm sure they did at some point. I'm sure they did what we're doing, you know, as far as just kind of just watching a ton of stuff and trying to put out content. But damn, once they get to the top they're they've lost that. They've lost that grit and grind that, that they once had. And I, I was, I was upset. See, I'm glad that, you know, we're almost four years in with, with this whole thing and we don't, we haven't lost it. We're still excited to do this. We're still happy to be here. I think that if I'd kept sneak preview going, I would have, I would have gotten jaded like that by now and it would have poisoned the rest of the shows and it would have poisoned me. And I don't want to ever reach the point where I don't enjoy talking about movies because I don't know what the hell I I will be at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. At that point, you know, what's the point, you know, uh, that's, that's a line you do not want to cross. And I have not reached that. Granted, I'm only on one show. I host it. I get to kind of run the way the way it goes. You give me complete freedom to to make the show kind of my own, and uh, obviously, I've had you in mind the entire time because it's it's always me and you doing this show, and I wouldn't have any other way. But I have I I mean I have an absolute blast, you know, like week in week out. Don't really know where the conversation is going to go. I don't even know how we got here. <laughs> but I, but I know I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna have a good time talking about movies, and in this case, talking about the Mummy. So let's do some fucking awards for the Mummy, dude. I can't wait. <laughs> that was a good segue. Well done. Yes, yes. Uh, the Tarantino Award for the best quote of the movie. Really fun screenplay here. Just, just an absolute dynamite comedic adventure. You know, screenplay. Uh, then we have the Ennio Morricone Award for best music moment. Again, Jerry Goldsmith batting a thousand percent here. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award, which could be up for a few people here. This is one of the most competitive Philip Seymour Hoffman Awards we've ever had. I think there's like four or five people that you could you could call out, and I wouldn't complain. Uh, the Roger Deakins Award, finally, for the best scene of the movie. So without further ado, I'll let you take it away and start talking about one of your favorite movies. <laughs> All right. So I do love the screenplay. I can recite the opening by heart the opening narration i know it thebes city of the living like i know this movie but of course <laughs> i love that they had to get in like a egyptian an egyptologist to craft a speakable version of ancient egyptian for imhotep and anaxanamun to speak in the movie i love that they went that far yeah um and yeah it's 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 a very tight screenplay very fun and this one was the hardest one for me to grab because I love so many moments of dialogue in this movie. Like, you know, think of my children. You don't have any children. Someday I might. <laughs> it's just his, all of his, all of Rick's confrontations with Benny could have been here. 
Yeah, uh, when he calls him stinkweed. <laughs> you came so... back to the, from the desert with a new friend, didn't you, Benny? It's just, oh, my God. Uh, so I ultimately went with a line uh, right after they get back to, uh, from Hamanoptera and they're at the fort. And it looks like the calm after the storm. The Americans are trying to get the hell out of there. Rick's trying to figure out next steps with his mummy. And we meet Winston Havelock, the Royal Air Force guy who didn't die with his friends and has just been regretting it ever since. And uh, he starts lamenting his situation. He's like, oh, my friends are dead and I wish I was. And Rick just mouths off. Well, we all got our little problems today, don't we, Winston? (laughs) After everything he's been through, he's like, he doesn't want to hear any complaints from anybody. And I just at this time, I was like, I fucking love that. Yeah. Lotties. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good, such a good uh, chemistry there between those two, just uh, with, with, with little screen time, you know, they just have like a good banter. Well, I love the idea of a guy who survived world war one and is like, everyone I, I like everyone I respected is gone. I'm still here. I want one last adventure and I want it to take my life. Cause I want to die like a soldier. Like that's fucking awesome. And then he gets his wish. Winston gets to do that. It's like, that's just great. It's a great little side quest in this movie. A little, little minor arc that I always loved. What is what does Rick say when he's like, oh, you know, save a damsel in distress and save the world? Like he does that whole thing where he's explaining what's about to happen. <laughs> well, I love Jonathan's like everyone else we bumped into has died. Why not you? <laughs> and Winston's like, I'll take it. Yeah. And then when he does die, uh, Rick gives him the the salute. <laughs> Such a good touch. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, fantastic. That's a that's a guy I always forget how like what a firecracker Winston is in the movie. Uh so much fun and such a great scene. That that scene is one of my favorite scenes that like the the sandstorm scene when they're they're kind of flying away. So I chose a bit of dialogue from that and it's Benny. <laughs> he he says, I love the whole sandwall trick. It was beautiful. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite line readings in the movie uh i just and benny's just so awesome you know such a good great character he's essential to like what's going on in the movie you need his kind of a judas type you know just kind of fucking everybody over only out for himself you know uh, i i just I, I love him and then of course him and rick together is, is just wonderful wonderful stuff i love that their first adventure in the movie sees benny abandoning Rick and closing the door on him and their final adventure in the movie sees a door yep. closing on Benny Rick still trying to save him yeah and then but when when it doesn't happen Rick's like bye Benny <laughs> yeah he's like well you did this to yourself like no yeah. he, no guilt at all just like well see ya <laughs> it's it's brilliant it's it's one of those um I don't know I've kind of figured out you know I've known you for a while now and you can you can see like what gets you as a movie fan and it's definitely it's obviously it's obviously the story is like number one above all else but you're not some guy who's like i'll just deal with shitty acting you like good performances you like good execution but you love when you love when movies specifically within the story they like come back around and you love you love that you love when there's kind of the foreshadowing and then at the end of the movie there's something that kind of reflects back on what already happened. You know, I, I've noticed that you, you like when it gets wrapped up that way. Uh, and this one, yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, I can see why Connor just loves this movie. 
<laughs> and and of course, like you said, you've been with it since you were like four or five years old. I am a I am a sucker for foreshadowing. I I've done that in my own work. I like I like knowing there was a plan. I like knowing there was a path and yep. a sticking goal. to yep. it is yeah, it's it's great. My one regret with Benny, I wish there's moments like when he watches uh the last American get sucked dry and Benny's watching and he's just like cringing. You don't see it. It's off screen. Uh, the bald guy. Yeah. I'm just like, what the fuck is his name? Yeah. I know you're talking about. He never got a name. <laughs> he's just like Mr. <laughs> yeah. He's just American. But um, yeah. there's a moment where Benny's like cringing and I wish that they built on that more. And in the end, like Benny had had one redemptive moment. Just one little bit where he like throws O'Connell his sword or something. Just one little moment. I mean, he still gets eaten by the scarabs because he fucked up. But I wanted a little bit of like Benny like still cares about his friend. Just a little bit right there. But we never got it. Yes. Yeah. So when Rick does ride away on the camel and he does find the treasure, he's like, you know, I think Benny knew. You know, I think Benny knew that someone better get this stuff, you know. Yeah. That would have been interesting. That would have been interesting kind of something to just kind of slot in there uh, with his screenplay. Uh, but God, his his ending is just so brutal. Those little scarabs, they're, they're frightening. It's so perfect, though. Just, you know, he, he evades capture. Like, he always manages to get away. He is a slimy rat who sides with the greatest evil in the land. The, the movie was not going to let him get away with that. Somebody big had to get devoured by those fucking beetles. <laughs> yeah, gonna we, be need, <laughs> we needed that as a, as an audience. Yeah, it's just such an awesome and, scene. And Kevin J. O'Connor's performance is so good as Benny. I love him as Benny. I love him as Igor. I love him as Daniel Plainview's fake brother and There Will Be Blood. He's become one of my favorite character actors, and I, I rarely see him. Yeah, and why why is it that when he does pop up, it's like the, that guy, you know, like what so what is it? Is it just that he's getting like writing specifically for him? Like, do you think Paul Thomas Anderson was like, I'll just take some random guy. That's not what happened. That's not what happens in his movies. He picks people. So he clearly sees something in him. And like, why don't other people, you know, I, I love that guy. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. He always brings the heat. Yeah. Well, I found out in that variety video, Adam Sandler, big fan of the mummy good friend of Paul Thomas Anderson. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd watched it together at some point. And Paul mm. Thomas Anderson was like that Benny kid. I like him. I'm going to think about that. And then he wrote, there will be blood. And he's like, I remember that guy. I'll reach out. I bet it was some kind of ripple effect like that. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, Adam Sandler is the man. <laughs> if you, if you haven't look up uh, the, the, the Gotham Gotham awards just happened. It was like, you know, it's always like the first, award show of the season you know everything everywhere all at once one best picture that's cool but michelle williams and adam sandler both got kind of like spotlighted and sandler got to do a whole like speech dude just fucking love that guy and the fact that him and the safties might work together again chef's kiss Uh, come on (laughs) can't wait so yeah that'd be great if adam sandler was like hey hey paul I know a guy. Uh, <laughs> that's that's great. And, you know, we might be talking about him again for the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award because he's great. Um, but first, the Ennio Morricone Award. What is your favorite piece of score from this movie? So I own this score on CD. 
Um, Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so I know what all the pieces are called. And this was the first thing I wrote down because no this way. movie. If we have the same thing. Oh. <laughs> this movie grabs you pretty damn quick. Okay. Because because of the opening score called Imhotep. <sighs> I almost chose that. I almost chose that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, fade out from the pyramids. We see the Sphinx and we just are in ancient Egypt and the music is so grandiose and powerful. And then it bleeds into an intimate one-on-one with Imhotep, the high priest and then from there, you know, it gets a little romantic when we meet an ox in a moon. And then it turns treacherous when the, the pharaoh shows up and they kill him. It's all one big, beautiful bouquet of introduction that I have always adored. And it's it's a great intro for our bad guy and really just sets the stage for a fucking adventure. Yeah, and quite, quite possibly the best five minutes of the movie. Is, yeah. is the opening is the opening because you get this like really grand narration and you get you know a lot of explaining you got to be paying attention so it it either i can't imagine being you know this movie made 400 million fucking dollars you know back in 1999 so it either grabbed you by the balls and was like hey you're in the, you're in the movie now for two hours or you're like yeah i'm guessing most people were like i'm in i'm in you know, and that's how it still is. You know, this movie still has kind of kind of a, a dedicated fan club, and I, I I just fall back into that place whenever I watch this movie. Is and, and you do that thing. I don't know if you do this, but I do this all the time. Probably not for you with this movie in particular because you've seen it a lot more than I have. But I did that thing where I paused it and I got online and I was like reading about. It. <laughs> I'm fucking. I'm fucking reading about the time period. I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually kind of you know uh, accurate. You know what I mean? And I love when a movie does that with the first five minutes. So I almost chose the first five minutes for my Deacon. So I was like very close. It's just captivating as hell. So uh, yeah, good, good pick. That is one of the most effective pieces of score. The other really effective bit is the mummy at the very end of the movie. It's actually titled the mummy, but my favorite is camel race. Like in the middle of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the best, but it's my favorite. It's just good, clean fun. And to me, this is why Jerry Goldsmith was like the guy for the job. He understands kind of the whimsical nature of it, the adventurous, the action, the kind of intense nature of it. And with with Camel Race, you kind of get all of that in one. So kind of what you're explaining with your opening uh, opening title being being your, your choice. I feel the same way about this. But you have it on CD. That's fucking cool as shit. <laughs> I also have some some random scores on, my, on CD. But uh, you know, it's, this is on Spotify. Jerry Goldsmith is not a you know unpopular name. You can listen to it on Spotify, and man, every piece is sick. You know, I was listening to it today at work, and I was like, man, like he outdid himself here. You know, and we're talking about a guy who did the Omen. You know, so it's I I just forgot how good it was. That was what jumped out to me the most. This viewing was man, the music is really good, and it's embodying a Indiana Jones you know, fucking adventure theme. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm all about it. So I had fun picking that award. So did I, I, I had some runner ups. I nearly went with Togger attack. Oh, perfect. Our introduction to Rick and Benny and the battle in the French foreign legion that they're participating in when the commanding officer just takes off and Benny's just like, you just got promoted. I love it. 
yeah, that's a brutal way to, you know, show us our hero just killing people and showing how resourceful he is. Um, I also love the crypt. Oh, dude, the crypt is sick. The crypt and crowd control, I thought about too. Yeah. That's because that's when we start drifting into horror. And Goldsmith's bread and butter is fucking horror. Yes. <laughs> which is why, which is why the kind of grand stuff that he does is is just so jaw-dropping. Because it's like, well, he can kind of do it all. It makes you wonder. The guy could have done anything with his career. He could have done the kind of, you know, um, John Williams thing, you know, just just do that kind of stuff, these big grand pieces. But he's so good at subtle stuff too. Like, that, like you said, that that is where he really shines. Yeah. The crypt is basically just one horn at various like tones, and it's so eerie, and it just lulls you into this like they should not be here vibe. Like you know, you don't open things that have been sealed for thousands of years. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. It's perfect. Oh, yeah, man. brilliant stuff, dude. I love it. All righty, two two awards down, two to go. Uh, this one, this one's the most intense. The Philip Seymour Hoffman Award, best performance of the movie. For you, performance wise, who wins this thing? So I had to really buckle down and get to the nitty gritty here. I mean, I'm basically picking, you know, who did the best Olympic dive on a team of just fantastic divers. Like it's all 9.8s, 9.7s. Like who do I, who do I give the gold to? Yeah. Who, who finished with a fucking belly flop? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I ultimately decided I I changed my criteria a bit and I went with who has the most on their shoulders here. Who's dealing with the most in terms of what, like what they have to become, what they have to like juggle. So I gave this to Arnold Vosloo. No way. That's <laughs> yes. That's what I just wrote down. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I literally, literally just, we, we just took a mini break. I had to go piss and I was like, all right, is it Frazier or is it Arnold? <laughs> or is it, or is it Rachel? Those are the three I was really, really thinking about. And I was like, you know what? Arnold is fucking frightening in this movie. He is. He's, you know, I mean, he's the first character we meet. He's His story is, you know, he fell in love with the Pharaoh's mistress and murdered the Pharaoh and yeah. was mummified alive for it, which it is weird that ancient Egypt has like, let's make sure we do this guy terribly dirty in his afterlife. So one day he could come back as a god. But um, that's not for now. <laughs> But um, yeah, and then he gets resurrected and he's just a force of fucking nature, just this evil motherfucker who I appreciate the the work he put into the dialogue, you know, considering he had to learn these phonetic ancient Egyptian lines. Yeah, but he also has just great chemistry, like the way he treats Benny, the way he looks at Evelyn, his fucking hatred of Rick towards the end that bleeds into part two where that just gets better. And I just, I thought Arnold Vasu killed it. I mean, he's stepping into the shoes of Boris Karloff here, and those are big fucking shoes. And he delivered. He's, I've, I've seen him in other stuff. Like, I, he was in Blood Diamond. He was in the Dark Man sequels. But he was never as great as he was in The Mummy. Oh, man. God, yes. I, you know, deep down, when I was watching it, I was like, dude, this guy's out of this fucking world during this movie. And, you know, today, I was at work, and I was like, this is Brendan's movie. And and then I was like, 
Ah, but Rachel, Rachel Vice, she's something else in that movie. She really brings a whole different, you know, different element. And then literally while I was, I was like, I got to choose somebody. <laughs> and I was like, I ultimately went the same thing, kind of the most on his shoulders. Like he does, he does something really unique with learning, learning how to speak something that most actors would not. And shame on me or, or not. I don't know. I don't know. We're never going to talk about this guy again. Yeah. It's a damn shame. You're right. And what, in what Oscar Sunday, I'll look at his resume. But in what world are we going to be able to talk about this guy and the like extremely, extremely underrated career that he's had? Well, and so I, f- I felt like kind of shouting it out. I know he's in um, uh, Blood Diamond. Yeah. Um, but I can't off the top of my head. I know he's in a ton of TV shows. And it's hard to be able to talk about him as a as a possible PSH yeah. on this show. And every now and again, I'm like, it's fun to just kind of shout out people that no one talk about. And nobody talks about him. So he's dynamite in this movie. Perfectly casted. I can't really... I can see other people playing Rick at that time. 1999, there's a lot of kind of lead guys who probably could have done it. Maybe not as good. But there's no one that I can picture playing this character. So I ultimately just had to give it up. Yeah, Imhotep is such a great character. He's so evil, but like in a way that you kind of understand, like he's driven by passion and lust. Like it's not, you know, it, it's easy to to believe that. And he never wavers in that. His whole mission from beginning to end is, I want to be with Anox and the Moon. It doesn't matter how he gets there. He could, you know, he literally comes back from the dead for this. And it just you buy it. You, you buy his his love and his insane dedication. But also like moments where he's just, you know, smiling at the bloodlust he's causing. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. so believable and freaky. And I yeah, he he's terrifying. I, I'm I'm yeah, I'm enamored by his performance. And I wish he'd he I wish he would do more like mainstream work because I want to see him again (laughs) yeah he's he's one of those guys where it's like how the fuck is he not a big marvel character yeah like like where like where's the casting you know they usually knock everything out of the park it seems like this guy could play so many different characters within that kind of a world so yeah I, i just thought he was great that's great that you picked the same guy this gives me the same vibes as when we both picked uh giancarlo esposito for uh, do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome when we're both just in the same understanding on some of these awards. It's awesome. Uh, it happens. I, I toyed with John Hanna. Okay. I was going to bring him up as kind of a dark horse. Yeah. Very funny. Very funny. Hilarious and consistent. And just, you know, the source of merriment for the whole movie. He's the guy who, you know, he's the con man who like has no qualifications for being here, but ultimately saves the day <laughs> yeah yeah I, I love you know like when um rick and fuck what's his name uh, another character i loved uh when they're digging oh and our death bay correct yeah uh, i love when they're digging and he's just like oh you know <laughs> he's just fucking picking his nails you know just yeah. it's just your back it. <laughs> yeah it's one of those on the nose just funny fucking things you know so uh he had a really good 1999 uh, John Hanna. He was also in the Hurricane, 
alongside Denzel Washington, Leah Schreiber. Uh, great, great movie. He's it's like a completely different performance, a dramatic performance than than the Mummy. So I love when guys can do that. I love when he goes when we meet when they meet Rick in the in the Cairo prison, and Evie's picking up on the holes in Jonathan's story about how he came across this artifact. And she's like, you lied to me. And he's like, I lie to everybody. What makes you so special? <laughs> oh, that, is, that is wonderful. Uh, John Hannon nominated for a BAFTA 1994 for four weddings and a funeral. How about that? That is a sweet movie. It does not belong in that group, but it is a sweet movie. Yeah, that group being Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump and Quiz Show. Yeah, sorry. There's a clear odd man out here. Yeah. <laughs> he was in I watched most of Agents of Shield. And there was a season where John Hanna was the villain. Ooh, I like that. He played a a brilliant scientist who created an artificial intelligence. They were basically doing Age of Ultron on a TV scale. It was the same fucking story. But um makes sense. Yeah. It wasn't a great show, <laughs> but you know what? I watched it. Um <laughs> But John Hanna was just this kind of unapologetic genius who built an uh, an AI that trapped everybody in this like alternate re- computer reality where like Hydra won World War II and they took over the world and everything. It was neat. But uh, the mummy and that is pretty much like the only times I've ever seen John Hanna. <laughs> John Hanna, few and far between, but what he does is great. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's legitimately five or six people here that can win this thing. So. That's why we do the award, because every now and again that happens. This last award, cannot wait to hear what you have. The Roger Deakins Award, your your favorite scene of the movie. Oh, this was fucking impossible. I, I, yeah. I wrestled with yeah. this. I wrote five or six scenes down. I wrestled with this from beginning to end, and I picked a moment. I didn't pick a scene. I, I went with a moment. I kind of did, too. Cool. Because no. this is, it's so well-crafted. You can tell Stephen Summers. Like this is without a doubt his best movie by a mile. Not I mean, even close. He did four, and then Hollywood basically said go away. <laughs> but yeah. which is a shame. Um, it's the scene where Imhotep has been resurrected. He's trapped Evie in the little corner room where he took Burns's eyes and tongue. I also found a cool theory that the reason he thinks she's an ox in a moon is because he's squinting because he can't see that well because he's got Burns's eyes. And he's like, just this is the first woman he's seen in 3,000 years. And he's like, is that, is that you? It, it must be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that actress, Patricia Velasquez, who plays, uh, uh, how do you say it? Anak Sunamun. Sunamun. She is gorgeous. And I've like never seen her in anything. I don't, I don't like besides this. She was in a few episodes of Arrested Development. Oh, good shout out. Good shout out. Yeah, she um, was Marta, the girl that uh, Michael like falls in love with briefly. Yeah, uh, Marta Estrella. Good, good call. Yeah, yeah Jesus. I yeah. totally forgot about that. She has a much bigger role in The Mummy Returns where she gets to play reincarnated in Ox in the Moon. Who's just Motherfucker, a- she was in Malignant. I forgot about that. She was. She, she, she was yeah. in Malignant. Yeah, it's, it's all coming back to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think she, she no, was in, she, she's amazing in, in the in the, the she's like perfect for this role. Yeah, I think she was in the Curse of La Llorona as well. Yeah, I just read that as well. Good mm. call. Damn, I'm good. Uh, Patricia. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I I love that they kept her in part two and give she gets a much bigger role. Gets to really you get to see 
the, her relationship with Imhotep from her perspective and how fucked it is. I mean, it's already pretty fucked, but basically, you know, she never loved him. She just it was, you know, using him to get out of the, get away from the Pharaoh. Which to me makes like there's there's decisions, and I'm going to watch that sequel soon. I haven't seen it in a while. There's decisions like that that make it a really good sequel, in in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's not a great movie. There's a shit ton of plot holes, but you know what? I enjoy it, and that's yeah. all I care about. I like I like about half the decisions they make, and that's yeah. just fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the scene, um, Imhotep's up. He sees Evie, and he's like. You, you're my girl. Yeah, you're the one. <laughs> everyone arrives, and Rick's like, you know, we gotta get out of here. And he sees Imhotep, and he's like, whoa! <laughs> and um, everyone just like, oh shit, it's alive. And uh, Imhotep roars at Rick, and Rick's response is he roars back and blasts Imhotep with a shotgun. Yeah, and they run. Fantastic. And Imhotep gets up, and he's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> he has this look in his eyes of like, that's new. Yeah, three thousand years ago, we didn't have that shit. Yeah. But I, I just love that that first, uh, first interaction between Rick and Imhotep is a roar and a and a double barrel right in the chest, and he just like shrieks and falls over. And at that point, you're like, you're like them. You're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> it's alive. What do we do now? And it's just <laughs> it's a perfect character moment for him. It is. It is a a unique first showdown between between two you know major characters right so i i love that i again brendan brendan's facial expressions are so strong and give on give off you know so much they're like worth you know it's like a picture worth a thousand words he does like he has that in him and he and that scene specifically he has it in, in spades so good that's a good call hot take i think brendan gives his best work as Rick O'Connell in part two. Mm, I like that. So like, I need to watch this again. Yeah. If we were doing this on part two, he would, he would get the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Was that up for Oscars? Uh, <laughs> blast. <laughs> well, one day we'll have to do mummy returns on film gasm and just, just do yeah. it up. We're doing it on Wednesday. <laughs> oh, duh. It's Brendan week. Duh. What's, what's beyond the bad then? Mummy three. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> So we're keeping Tom Cruise. Uh, no, we. I have a. I got to build up a lot to go back to that piece of shit. Oh, so you've seen that? I yes. Oh, God. in theaters. I, oh, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't see it because I knew I was like, this is stupid. Like, I, I was pretty <laughs> sure I knew it was gonna suck, but at the same time, I'm like, well. They, everyone said that about Van Helsing, and I I really liked that movie. I used that movie as my excuse to see a lot of shit because I'm like everyone hated that, and I love that movie, so maybe. Especially when it comes to genre stuff, right? You just like never know what's gonna click uh, yeah. with like any with any person. So I, I understand that. I just was like Tom Cruise. I, I love Tom. I love Tom Cruise. As not the guy, the actor. But but come on, that's the guy who's gonna take the mantle of like. It's, he he does like his his like juice like his best stuff. Tom Cruise is complete opposite of what Brendan Fraser brings to the screen. It's just stupid. Thankfully, it was when I was still working at Draft House, so it was free. Ah, that's right. It so, was like 2017. Yeah. yeah. So I don't feel that bad about seeing it, but I was mm-hmm. I was just I left there pissed off. 
I, I'm sure you'd like to get those two hours back for something. I would, else. I would love to get those. If I could get, you could do that. If you could refund your time on a movie you hated, that'd be the best. It'd be worth it. That'd be so cool. You know, I used to do me and my two older brothers. We used to do, um, this is, I wish we still did this. We just don't all see the same movies anymore. But um, when we were growing up and like in the same household and like, if we went to see a movie with our dad or something, we would have dollar rankings. So say we see the born ultimatum and my dad would be like, Austin, how much would you pay to see that? And I'd be like 10 bucks. And my brother would be like, well, I'd pay 12. And then Jeremy would be like, I'd pay like four. You know, like that, that was like, that was like our rating system for, for movies growing up. Uh, for a few years, we did that. Like every movie we saw in theaters would be like, what, well, what is it worth to you? And that was like a good, a good way of gauging how much you enjoyed the theater experience and the, and the film itself. It was really, really fun. So if you like, were like, no, like I want it back completely like free. <laughs> I just well, want it all back. I want the money back. I want the time back. You know, you hated it. I love that. And if I had to put a dollar amount on the mummy 2017, you could pay me 15 bucks to see it. And I would still turn you down 15. Okay. Like give, I'm going to give you 15 bucks. You go see the mummy. I'd be like, no, thanks. Okay. I love that. I love that. I definitely have a lot of, you know, like, uh, like a dime. Like I'd I'd pay literally 10 cents (laughs) for this movie. But then if you're to tell me, and the mindset was that you can only, like, this is the only time you see it. So like my dad asked me that after I saw whiplash and I was like, well, like $200. I mean, if that's the only time I get to see this movie and it's in theaters and I like, it's that movie. I, I, I pay a lot. <laughs> I pay a shit ton of money to see that movie. Like whatever I have at the time, <laughs> you know? And so you have those experiences too, where you, you like hold them tightly and you can kind of, it was fun. It was a fun little thing. We haven't done it in forever. I'd love to bring that back into the fold. <laughs> bring it back. That's neat. I like that. Yeah. yeah, bring it back. Next time I talk to my dad, I'll be like, how much? <laughs> uh, my dad just loves seeing shit. Like, it, it, even if it's shit, he's like, he just likes bang, bang, loud, you know, big screen. Like, he's one of those people, but he also has this kind of um, this side to him that is highbrow and like i want i want good shit so he has both of those that's that's why i'm who i am you know is yeah i was gonna I say that explains a lot i've 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 adopted that you know i i love stuff and i also am very into you know artsy fartsy talking the whole time movies so i, I i'm into both <laughs> yeah that's that's why this show works so well because you can see both sides of it and we've explored both sides of it many times yeah while using the Oscars as this like just fucking vehicle to talk about movies like The Mummy. Um, this is a great pick for the Deacons. I don't think you'll be very surprised because I texted you <laughs> about my pick. Um, Mr. Stephen Dunham plays Mr. Henderson. Mm. And he's fucking around, right? He's fucking around in the room and he's, you know, he's fucking, he, he thinks he's Indiana Jones, basically. <laughs> And then our, 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 our big bad, you know, comes in and, and it's one of the coolest kill scenes because you don't quite see everything. You see a lot of shadow, but you're seeing him slowly generate back to his full form and it's fucking sick. But it's right before 
he's in full form. So he kills him. Ah, you know, and then one of the uh, one of the scarabs or whatever is like fucking rolling around his neck and comes off his cheek and goes into his jaw because his jaw still isn't fully formed. You know, it's still got some mummy vibes going on, and he it fucking goes into his jaw and he just just starts chewing it. <laughs> and it's my favorite scene in the movie. It's just it's like scary, but it's funny as shit because you're like, like I just fucking like ate a beetle basically. And and it's and it's awesome. It's a really well done scene. It leaves it up to imagination, you know. And I I loved that scene. I texted you when it happened. I was like, God, the fucking Henderson scene is sick. And I'm I'm still with it. But that's a moment. That's like a moment of the movie. Again, I really stand by the first five to ten minutes. I think it's just wonderful. Like a wonderful way to start a movie. And then the finale is about as good of a landing as you can have with a movie like this. So I think for me, you know, you go with, if you're going with like big moments and and big scenes that kind of string together, you go at the beginning or the end. So they both are fantastic. And then within are a lot of favorites or just a lot of little pa pa pa. And for me, it was the Mr. Henderson. So I, I went a similar route that you went. I just went with a different little, you know, 10 second bang. And I'm I, like, I'm in love with it. So uh, Stephen Dunham, sorry, man, you got fucking blasted. <laughs> that is such a well done horror scene. And yeah. Yeah. I love right before where he's like, you know, give me a glass of bourbon and a shot of bourbon and a bourbon chaser. And the guy's like, I'll get your damn bourbon. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, showing off the, the American with the gun. And he's like, yeah, when this mummy comes, I'm, I'm blast yeah. him. I'm like, you know, Texas. <laughs> And he immediately gets drained in midair by a cloud of sand. And it's so fucking creepy the way yeah. it's like thrashing him around in the shadow. And then it just throws his drained corpse to the side like it's nothing. It's brilliant. It's <laughs> fucking brilliant. Just a sick scene. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. I um, I nearly went with uh, the scene where we first like Imhotep's first kill, so to speak. When okay. yeah. the plague... The, creepy yeah the locusts show up and everyone's like what the hell's going on they retreat into the into the tomb burns falls and drop and loses his glasses and you know we established earlier like you know well i can't without my glasses i can't see just that little <laughs> bit of dialogue and it's like okay now we're worried and benny of course <laughs> steps on his glasses and then it's just burns in a tomb unable to see anything feeling the walls and you just see a vague like person down the hallway and we all know who it is yeah he he doesn't but that scene is perfect horror because when i was a kid up until i got lasik my eyesight was about that bad i couldn't see anything without my glasses that scene scared the shit out of me as a kid because i i thought that could happen to me you know i end up in a weird place i lose my glasses i can't see anything could happen yeah 100 percent. yeah it taps into a very real fear and it leaves you there. And then what happens? Imhotep rips his eyes and tongue out and then just throws them away. Like, holy hell, man. Uh, so, yeah, I almost went with that. But Rick just, you know, roaring at the corpse and just shooting him was too perfect. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just keep going. The yeah. Dr. Alan Chamberlain kill scene. Oh, lights out. That scene is sick. And I love the... 
probably the most fun you have is when they're in the car driving away from like all of uh the, all of his followers essentially emotep you know that scene with the chant and then like they're driving the car and fucking rick is like punching people off the windshield you know <laughs> it's so much fun you know uh yeah this movie's a banger like just has it doesn't have really a downtime i guess you're really kind of on, on the edge of your seat the whole time and if you like this stuff if you are into you know this kind of history it's just really rewarding so I was talking to my buddy today about it, my buddy Robert at work, and uh, most that you've met him briefly before. Most of the time, you know, he'll say like, "Oh, what movie are y'all doing?" You know, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I haven't seen that." But I was like, "Dude, we're doing the Mummy tonight." He was like, "I love the Mummy," because he's a he's a fucking history buff. He's a uh, hopefully about to get into law school and just he 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 really enjoys plays with history in this way. And so he was like, dude, I'm definitely going to listen, man. That's so sick, you know? Uh, it was a little different uh, reaction when I told him we were doing Bicycle Thieves last week. He was like, <laughs> what? What's that? You know, it, you know, it's it's just one of those movies that has its fans, and they're going to stand by it. Damn right. Uh, yeah, that Egyptologist death scene Ugh. traumatized me as a kid. That was one of the scenes where I had to close my eyes. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, it's rough for PG thirteen. Like it toes the line. Just I, I actually thought it was Ohar while I was watching it. They, it's, they could, they could have done a couple things to make this movie so nasty. Like, oh, geez, dude. I would love an R rated mummy, but we'll never get one. Universal doesn't believe in it. Is 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 that the reason? Like Universal's like, no, we want like to make more money or. They well, when 2017's Mummy came out, uh, and they said it was going to be PG-13, uh, they famously said, and I quote, "Horror doesn't make money," which is bullshit. Uh, yeah, Universal yeah. was created on the on a foundation of horror, and they better fucking respect that. Um, but yeah, they they figured a PG-13 adventure movie would make money, and a horror movie wouldn't. The Mummy bombed, and then in 2020, The Invisible Man, huge hit, straight up horror. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like that's that's the you know aside from like uh, children and family movies, horror is the only substantial genre in movie making now because we care. Yeah. Because we give a fuck about word of mouth. We care about discourse. We care about yeah. talking to each other about it. We are the best fans. Like hands down, horror fans are by and large way better than any other, you know, uh, movie TV fans. Cause we, yeah. we give a shit. If I see invisible man, I'm like, that was cool. I'm going to tell every person that I think would be interested. And they're going to be like, cool. I trust it. I'm going to go see it. And it just keeps going, keeps going and keeps going. And that's, that's just like the way of horror. That's why barbarian made money hand over fist mm-hmm. because of word of mouth. That's why smile made money. You know what I mean? Like Smile's trailer looked like trash. And then people saw it and they're like, that was pretty, that was pretty good. Like I had some really good moments and it worked and it made a bunch of money. And like now it's, I, I think it's pretty good. So I don't know. I, yeah. this is what we do. Like this is what we do. We give a shit. The most memorable movies I saw this year were horror, you know, yep. Barbarian, Nope, The Black Phone, The Sadness, Smile. Like these are films that are gonna stay with me because Vi- Violent Night, Violent Night. Well, that was more action comedy, but it it was fucking great too. 
Um, I haven't I haven't seen it. I just know you love it. It's so much fun, dude. It's so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I love David Arbor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I still think horror is like one of the few places we can look to in modern film for pure creativity. And yep. I, I yep. still respect the hell out of that. So yeah. When in doubt, pick a horror movie. <laughs> so so The Invisible Man, that was R, right? That was R. That was very R, yes. And that's that's universal. Yeah, I think also uh, they partnered with Blumhouse, and I think Blumhouse was pushing for that R. Uh, okay, and that was okay. I think so... after the Mummy failed, the Mummy failed an entire franchise. Like they had a whole thing planned, the Dark Universe. They had Javier Bardem lined up to play Frankenstein. Johnny Depp was going to be the Invisible Man. They had plans, and all of that disappeared with the Mummy. So I think losing all of that might have made Universal change their tune a bit. Be like, all right, we'll try it. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so. Isn't there a? I feel like I've read about this. There's like a, a wolf man with Ryan Gosling, right? That's been in the works for like two, three years now. But COVID kind of put the the pause on that, and now I think the interest has been lost. People might have moved on. I know they changed directors, so we'll see. I, I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see it too, but. Yeah, the Invisible uh, Man also was gonna like start a Blumhouse like partnered Universal R-rated monster universe. The Wolfman was gonna be the next step. Uh, Karen Kusama was gonna do Dracula, but oh, dude, none of that happened that. because of oh, fucking COVID. God. COVID killed uh, all of that. Okay, so all right, let's get this out of the way. Then we can keep talking about this. Seventy second <laughs> Academy. <laughs> I just want to get out of the way. Seventy second okay. Academy Awards. The Mummy's up for best sound. I want to go right back to what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, it's more interesting than one category. Uh, let's see. Best sound. It lost to The Matrix. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it was it was nominated alongside. This is a cool group. The Green Mile, The Insider, and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So, yeah, The Matrix is tough to beat in this category. But The Mummy is probably second place for me. Yeah, The Mummy, you know, with... I love the sound of Imhotep's, you know unfinished Imhotep's roar and his the way he talks that's done really well the gun noises are good I think Star Wars had a chance with the pod racing scene totally fair totally yeah but the Matrix just revolutionized technical achievement that year nothing was taking anything away from the Matrix movies are still trying to copy the Matrix so yeah it's like and they don't succeed Nope. even even its own sequels don't succeed so uh yeah the matrix is is one of the best movies from this year from this ceremony should been up for best picture i'll stand by that forever um all right so if the mummy were to be properly redone for you as a fan who's in charge who's casted like what's your idea of like a proper r-rated let's say it's r-rated hmm you're, you're you're bouncing off, you know. You're on the coattails of of the Invisible Man. You're using okay. that success, you know. That's um that's directed by your man from Saw, right? Um, yeah, uh, Leigh Winnell. Yeah. So, pick a proper director, a proper horror director, if you want, and cast, you know, kind of your main characters. Like, what what are you going for? Uh, I put it in Scott Derrickson's hands. Oh, good call. Love yeah. that. Sinister, the Black Phone. Like he knows what he's doing. Uh, got good tone, real good yeah. tone. So was he, so was Ethan Hawke in it? <laughs> yes, yes, he is. He <laughs> has to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I would bring Brendan Fraser back as an older, 
Rick, oh, who's been oh, through the ringer. I would put this in like the 1950s. And okay, okay, so 30 years after what's happened in the mummy, which would yeah. put Rick at probably like 60 years old. Around there, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I would um hmm. as the mummy, I would want I want a Middle Eastern actor for a change. Uh that would be nice. <sighs> who can who can capture that? What, especially like what Arnold is doing, who's got that kind of demeanor, that like physicality, you know, because he's he's not like a freak of nature, but he's definitely a you know, he's got a big frame, big dude, scary eyes. It's, it's hard to find that. It is. Um, hmm. I'm looking up some contenders. Uh. Oh, Scott Derrickson also did Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, let's see. <sighs> it keeps it keeps putting me to Rami Malek, and I'm like, I saw No Time to Die. I'm gonna go with no. Yeah, I'm 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 good on that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to maybe an unknown, maybe somebody you know imposing. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to think about who would play the mummy, but I know how I would portray the mummy with scott derrickson i would take a cue from the way he portrays bagul in sinister i would make him this like shrouded in mystery dark force who is trying to you know i don't know bring the underworld into like into our world or some shit like that and maybe i don't know if i'd you know what fuck it i'd bring him otep back arnold vosloo a third a third run for vosloo I was gonna say, so if you bring him and and Brendan back as kind yeah. of the staple, the staples of hey, we're gonna get all the fans of the Mummy back. We're also not gonna, you know, just redo what we did. Let's get like for like comedic timing. Let's get Riz Ahmed in there. Let's get someone yeah. who's younger, popular. People like him. I feel like he could play a fun character within this world. Um, because you want people who can do kind of everything. Like they can be a little gritty, but they can also bring the comedic timing. And I feel like Riz Ahmed like is the definition of that. I'd have our hero be Alex, uh, Rick's kid again, but I'd change the, the I'd change him a little bit. I'd make him more of a more following in his mom's footsteps of like Egyptology, you know, research. Um, and I would have I would have Imhotep be a secondary villain. I would have this be the moment where like, you know, the stars align or something. And it's like the one time of every 4,000 years or something where Anubis can rise from the dead. And like, he's using Imhotep as like a, 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 a herald, like Galactus, like tell the world I am coming. They will. Fear ah. I want them to fear me. And Imhotep, I might change it up where Imhotep's like, I don't want this to happen. And he goes to Rick and he's like, we need to take this thing out together. Okay. I like that. I like that. Because at the end of The Mummy Returns, Imhotep is remorseful. because He's like, oh, the woman I loved never loved me. I have nothing to live for. So if he gets spat back onto Earth, I doubt he's going to want, you know, vengeance or chaos. He's going to be like, I just want to go back. I got nothing to live for. So put me back. Damn. Okay. I dig this. I dig this a lot. (laughs) Scott Derrickson at the helm. 
bring back some some fan favorites, bring in some new people, some new blood. I yeah, I can dig this uh, legitimate story that would be not. It wouldn't be copying anything. It would be calling back, but also being new. That's kind of what you want to do. You know, you want to you don't want to play it safe, but you want to play it smart with these. Yeah. You know, when you when you when you're trying to emulate something from twenty plus years ago, you you want to play it smart, kind of like the way Force Awakens did. Force Awakens wasn't too safe, but it was smart. It was getting people who always love Star Wars back in that fucking passenger seat, but also bringing in seven and eight, nine-year-olds to be like, whoa, this is cool. And like, it worked. It worked for a time. Well, with this movie, like if, you know, this hypothetical fourth mummy, you would also have to win back fans who hated Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and also people who were jaded by the 2017 mummy. So you have a lot of good faith to win back here. Correct. And I think the way you do that is you, 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 Highlight what people loved about the first two, the, you know, Brendan Fraser and Arnold Vosloo, Rick versus Imhotep, this perfect, you know, it's Batman and Joker, it's Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, it's, you know, hero versus villain. And people like that. And you have, you know, enough new stuff to keep it, you know, fresh, but you have enough from the past to be familiar and exciting. It could, it could work. I, I would, I would see that. Yeah. So would I, man. So would I. If, if they made it R and they brought back certain people and also showed some promise with the right director, like a guy like Scott, I, I would see it without knowing what the trailer is. You know, it'd be one of those things where I would be on board if they made the right hires, you know? Yeah. And I always like, you know, bad guy turning a little good, you know, maybe not all the way. He's still a monster, but I would want it to be like, you know, there's a worse monster. The Mummy Returns did that a little bit with the Scorpion King, but Imhotep was still a shit, so it didn't go all the way there. Correct. So I would, I would want to do something like that. I just love. Yeah, that. that's fantastic, dude. I love it. That's a good way to end the episode, man. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Much more interesting than, uh, yeah, the best sound category, in my opinion, is talking about like what we would do. Because uh, yeah, it's been just five years since. Uh, the mummy 2017 so it's like not quite long enough to get that nasty taste true but if you did but if you do it right it can well, wash it away with brendan fraser you know doing the whale he's been interviewed constantly about like hey would a fourth mummy movie be on the table and he has always been like absolutely just give me a sure. script like he wants to do it so i yeah. wouldn't be surprised if like you know if the whale is successful and he gets that oscar and suddenly there's offers you know oh, out the man. ass i would not be surprised if he's like let's do it Oh, dude, it could, you know, next five years or so it could happen. God bless. That would be, that would be wonderful. Here's to Brendan and here's to hoping his movie does well. Here's to hoping that it gets received well. And uh, he he does get nominated for the Oscar and and does some damage uh, during award season. That would be really, really special, you know? So we love him over here at Filmgasm. We love that guy so much so that this week, on Filmgasm, we're doing Mummy Returns. <laughs> on Beyond the Bad, we're doing a movie you just talked about, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. It's Brendan Week. It's Mummy Week. You know, uh, yeah. we love we love being able to do these kinds of things. We don't have many opportunities where we've got a trilogy with one film that fits for each show. I mean, that's just not, that's just perfect. It, yeah, it really doesn't line up that well ever. So you have to take advantage when you can. Um, next week on this show, 
because the uh, new James Cameron um, 13-year fucking project, Avatar, Way of the Water, is coming out. We're going to do Avatar 2009. Mm. Um, This is the first time ever on this podcast that I've chosen a movie that I don't really like. Um, I saw I saw I saw in theaters, and I was like, "Wow!" I was fourteen, so I was like, "Wow!" It doesn't take a lot to blow a fourteen-year-old's mind. I thought it was awesome. You know, I thought, "Oh, that was really cool." I can't wait to you know buy it and see it again. And then a few days passed, you know, and I was like, "That was fine." And then my oldest brother, or my sorry, not my oldest, but my older brother Jeremy was like, "Yeah, but it was just Pocahontas," and I was like, "Oh." You know, I thought about I thought about it more. I watched clips of it here and there throughout the past 13 years, and it's just not really for me. It's not really my jam. You know, I haven't really properly revisited it. But I will say, I am excited to. I, I am excited to go down that road, re- sit down, watch the whole movie. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to make a day out of it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the whole thing. I'm hoping to have some time to see the new film as well. We'll see about that. I'm not sure if I'll be able to see it in time for this show. But I do want to go see it. You know, I do think it could be a spectacle. It could be one of those community movies that I've been longing for over the past couple of years. So I am going to try to see it. But it's going to be an interesting episode. You know, we're going back to the 2009 Oscars. Uh, Avatar, Hurt Locker, right, is the one that won Best Picture. So I'm excited to go down that road, too. We haven't, we haven't been down that road in a long time. So um, I am excited for that, that conversation. I just, I, this has never really happened where I've picked a movie that we're both kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah, Avatar is a movie that, you know, we haven't really thought about in a long time, unless you're James Cameron, in which case that's all you've thought about for the past 13 years. Which but, sucks because he's one of the most talented people ever. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, with that talent comes the biggest fucking ego of all time. I know, but like, just if he'd applied himself to smaller, more tighter projects, we could get, you know, Another True Lies, another Terminator, another Abyss. But no, he's got to put everything in Avatar. But uh, yeah, I, you know, despite our thoughts about this admittedly pretty lukewarm sci-fi adventure, it is the highest grossing film of all time. It was a major awards, darling. And it's looking like the same thing's going to happen again with The Way of Water. So well could happen. Yeah. Part of the conversation, it would be weird to just not talk about it so you know we're going to take the it's always sunny approach and just not stop talking about it <laughs> oh that is brilliant uh, yeah i love it um yeah man i'm 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 kind of stoked to go down a road that we haven't really been down so uh, i'm ready for it um i mentioned that we're recording this late on friday night <clears throat> um i wanted to do this before we got out of here uh, you know, this episode's not out until Sunday, so if you're listening to this, a couple days have passed since this happened, but, uh, you know, the, the, the World Cup's been been going down over in uh, Qatar, and uh, there, were, there were a couple of big, big, big games uh, on Friday. Uh, <clears throat> in the morning, it was, I'm trying to get the order right, in the morning, it was Brazil versus Croatia, and that one went down to the wire, uh, and Croatia upset Brazil, which was crazy. Nobody was expecting that. You know, Brazil was the the favorite for the tournament, and they lost. The game after that was uh, Argentina versus Netherlands, and uh, it was a really intense game. Pretty nasty. It got it got really really kind of kind of gross uh, at times. You know, the teams were 
teams were going at each other, being disrespectful towards each other, which, you know, people love that shit. You know, you, you want drama. It was the most yellow cards ever given out at a World Cup game because the guys were just fucking bickering and pushing each other all game. Uh, you know, so I got to watch uh, most of the first one because that one that one was at 9 a.m. here at Texas time. So I got to watch most of that. Then I left for work. And while I was at work, I watched a little bit of the second game, the Argentina-Netherlands game. And what I saw, I was like, holy shit, these teams hate each other. These countries hate each other, you know? And, uh, you know, it was for everybody, it was, a, it was like a good day of the World Cup because it was two intense games, and that's what you want. You want the drama. And then I was driving home from work. And this is at, you know, 9-something p.m., and I got a text from one of my coworkers who knows I, I, I really like soccer. And um, very sad news. At one of the games on Friday, my favorite soccer writer, his name's Grant Wall, he passed away while at one of the games. Um, he collapsed is what the, the story is right now is he collapsed. Uh, I guess, you know, it's very hot there right now. You know, it's they're, exp- they're experiencing a much different climate than we are uh, in Qatar. Uh, it's very hot. It's like 100 degrees there. Very. So people are saying he collapsed. I guess maybe it was up to dehydration or what have you. But Grant Wall, I would be fucking stupid to not kind of talk about um, just how much he means to me and how important he is as a as a pop culture figure uh, and as a sports figure, Grant Wall, I believe was in his mid forties, just one of the most prolific dominant writers in his field and, and an American at that, you know, uh, a lot of people see America as kind of stupid and dumb when it comes to the sport. So it was really cool to see a guy from here travel all over the world and write about the game that he loves when he first went to Qatar for the World Cup, he was detained. He's a gay man, was a gay man. He was detained because he was wearing a rainbow shirt at one of the games. And Qatar doesn't really get down with that. He stood up. He, he, he stood up for what he believes is right. He said, you're going to have to detain me. I'm not taking my shirt off. Like, that's, this is who I am. And he was tweeting about how shitty it was over there, how terrible the conditions were how terrible they were taking care of people at the world cup and i i don't want to jump to conclusions but i have a hard time believing he just collapsed at this soccer game there's no way uh, a guy was saying all this stuff uh, about a place and was getting detained for being who he is there's just no way. There's no way it was that simple, you know? So I, I imagine a lot of stories are going to come out. I'm sure, you know, there'll be light shed on the situation, but just, I have to shout him out. I love that guy so much. And the fact that he's gone is, is very sad. He's one of the most important figures in soccer for America. And God bless, you know, I uh, hope his family's okay. You know, Grant Wall was the man. So rest in peace to that dude. And, you know, I'll continue, continue watching the World Cup, but I feel like something's missing. You know what I mean? Yeah, this has been tumultuous since day one. Uh, putting the World Cup in the hands of a country that does not support the rights of certain human beings. Frankly, I this never should have happened. 
Not at all. Yeah, I don't get I don't understand that. And I think you're right. I think he was a problem. And I think that they did something that's that's too coincidental. I don't believe in coincidence when in, in, in those cases. Neither do I. You know, um, this happened, you know, I, I, obviously, if you're listening to this, it's Sunday already. So it's something, you know, probably has come out or, you know, the real story. We'll see. I don't know. I just have a hard time believing it's that simple. Same as you. The coincidence thing is like, mm, I don't know. So I just would have felt wrong going to bed tonight, not shouting out one of the more important people in my life as far as who I look up to as far as their work and like what they dedicate their lives to. And I love this. I love the sport so much and has taught me so much about the world and has, you know, there's a reason I am so interested in foreign films. It really started with watching foreign players play this beautiful game. You know, it's like, it's, it goes hand in hand. So uh, Grant Wall is a part of that, you know, really, really brilliant, brilliant human being. And, that guy's the man. So I want to kind of finish off this episode with that. Um, it's a beautiful game, but it's a dangerous game, you know, soccer. So it is. So you just got to be careful where you're at. Uh, hopefully the world cup doesn't have any more issues as it, as it continues. Cause it's, it's getting close to the end here. And, you know, we've, we're almost to the semifinals. Um, if you're listening to this, we already know who the final four are. So uh, I'm going to continue watching, but yeah, again, something's missing for me if he's not there because he was covering every fucking game, you know, uh, he was a freak of nature who just loved what he did. So I look up to him in that way. Um, that's kind of something I, I just felt like I had to do ever since I was driving home. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, please come back and visit us, uh, on Wednesday for our filmgasm, uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Filmgasm. Check out our website. Got new reviews up all the time. Um, I was just on there the other day, and I, I didn't know you saw Violent Night. And I read your review, and I was like, okay, I need to fucking see this movie. You know, uh, Connor's writing does that to me every now and again. So <laughs> uh, I, I do, I, I want to see that movie really bad. But uh, keep watching movies, guys, and we'll see you fuckers on Wednesday.